Well, welcome back to Podcast 7. Now what? Well, what do you do after you've picked your stocks? And I'm going to talk about that in this podcast. Uh, but before I do, I just listened to my last podcast and I gave some examples of how to generate wealth in the stock market with small investments really starting at any age. Well, I reflected on that last night. And I thought, sure, that's easy for me to say. You know, there were times in my life I didn't have $2,000 a year. You know, I'm just trying to pay my bills and pay my rent. I've been in the same situation before, too. And believe me, when I made a few bucks, I was spending it in a variety of ways, usually for fun, but not investing. But if you're listening to this at this point still, I will tell you, I simply didn't have anyone mentoring me on what I should do for my future and my future retirement. I had no concept of retirement. And what I do know is, and I can say this, is if you're still listening to this, somebody is trying to help you and mentor you through it. So if I told you that for, call it 38 bucks a week, you could be a multimillionaire at 65, would you do it? Well, that is all it would take. And I know when I didn't have 38 bucks a week, but I do know that at times I could have invested 38 bucks a week, but I chose to have nice cars, boats, and vacations. It was fun. And all those spends depreciated and I didn't get anything out of it but fun. But you have to live your life too. I get that. I don't want to have a big bank account with lots of zeros and never had life experiences or fun with my wife, kids, family, and friends. My dad always said that a miser makes a great error, just be in their will. If they don't want to spend their money when they're alive, my dad used to say, well, make me an error. I'll spend it when you pass away. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be diametrically opposed. You can have fun, enjoy life, and yet with a small amount of money, start to secure your future. That, however, is this. I honestly feel if someone would have given me information on this when I was young, I do believe I would have listened. What kills me is, you know, you go through high school, you graduate from college. I never had any class that prepared me for understanding finances. You know, my daughter is a doctor of oriental medicine and acupuncture, and she got her undergrad, master's, and doctorate, and never had a class that taught anything about how to run a business, how to hire, fire, pay payroll taxes, overtime, business taxes, etc. I mean, if you were a business major, you may get some of that. So it's starting to feel like another random mind, but I do believe that starting in high school, they should be teaching more than shop and home economics, but life business math as well. How to open and balance a checking account, how to manage a personal budget, how to save and generate long-term wealth. So let me try and wrap this up and get this point out. Young folks, you've heard how easy and how simple it is to be a millionaire in time. Maybe there's no young folks listening to this, but if you're a parent, I'd share these concepts with them. Uh, Not my podcast, but the thought process. I would say, well, 38 bucks a week, I can hear the skeptics already saying, well, you know, a million or two is worth what in 40 years? I I don't know. I've heard that my whole life. But I do know this. When I was 15, a million dollars was a lot of money. Well, I'm 62, and it's not as much as it was when I was 15, but it's still a lot of money. you know, you don't need to look for excuses, look for reasons to succeed. Okay, now my rant is over. So let's move on to the next subject. So what do you do now? You've used these metrics, you've picked your stocks, you've bought them, and they're in your portfolio. My first strategy, and it's pretty conservative, long-standing financial strategy, is to buy and hold. Buy good stocks, solid companies, take a deep breath, and hold on to them as a tried and true strategy. But it does beg the question of hold for how long? Okay, this one's tough. I've heard from hold it forever, and not a bad strategy, but when is it okay to sell? 
are there times to sell a stock? And I say, absolutely. I tell people all the time, I can guarantee you how to not to lose money in the stock market. Don't sell when the price is under what you paid for it. I know it's complicated stuff, but it's pretty easy to understand. And that's not trying for me to be condescending. It's just simply the truth. I buy very few stocks that I don't want to own for the long run. So if a stock goes down in price, and since I own pretty much only dividend-paying stocks, I sit back and collect my dividends and hold on to the stock. You might say, but what if there is a cut in the dividends? Well, that would be a problem, especially like BP eliminated their, uh, their dividends. But it hasn't happened to me in almost seven years of all the stocks I've owned. I will say that the metrics I use help me stay out of that situation. Dividend aristocrats is an example. So when can I sell a stock? First, I, can, I would say when you can take a profit. It's always okay in my book to take a profit. So let's say you invested $50,000 in Reynolds American Tobacco Company. In 24 months, you had a profit of $25,000. First, that's a nice problem to have. But what I would do is maybe this. Sell half the stock, take the profit, either put it into a money market or reinvest it in another opportunity. I owned quite a few tobacco stocks four to five years ago, and then the news on the tobacco industry went sideways, as I've talked about, and tobacco took a beating. And while I haven't looked at them in a while, I think they're still in the penalty box. But it is okay to sell if you have a profit. Is it okay to sell if you're underwater or you're losing money on a stock? My answer to that is yes as well. I've already said you can't lose money in the stock if you don't sell it for a loss, but if I feel the stock will take too long to recover to the upside to get me to even, I might sell it. I call it dead money. I will look for a better stock to invest in and work to make up the difference. You can have dead money in a stock that you believe will or might recover, or you can see that the digital age put Blockbuster out of business as an example, and Blockbuster was never going to reopen. As I've articulated, if you buy strong, old, solid companies, dividend aristocrats, and they experience a downtrend, I'm happy to hold because I know they will most likely recover over time. Again, there's always an exception, and GE is one that I would cite most recently. But having a dead money stock, the sting will be taken out of it if you're yielding a dividend, as I said. So if you have a stock down 10% and it yields a 3.5% dividend and you own it over three years and it takes it that long to recover to get back to even, you've still collected your dividend and you've broken even. Now, that's not my goal. It's not what I'm looking to do. However, it is okay to sell a stock when it's down. Honestly, sometimes I just get sick of looking at a stock in my portfolio that I made a mistake on, that I have a loss, and I just want to sell it and move on. But I need to say this. It has never happened on a stock that I picked as a low-risk investor. It's always when I left my plan or my metrics and took a bit of a chance. Many brick-and-mortar retail stores got in Amazon's wake, and they saw their stocks ride the wave down and some of them are still riding the wave down. A few of those would be like Kmart, Sears, JCPenney, even Macy's is hurting pretty bad. You can wait and watch the downtrend, or if you have no reason to believe they will recover, then sell. But there's nothing worse than wanting to sell at 50, but you can't seem to pull the trigger because you're waiting for it to go back up. And before you know it, it's down to 25 bucks. You can always hope for a recovery. However, hope is not a strategy. Never has been and never will be and exactly why I do this myself. I don't want to hope my investment advisor is smart. I don't want to hope that they are honest. I don't want to hope that they are not using hope for their strategy. I'll just take it in my hands and do it for myself. Extreme examples are Enron, Blockbuster, and like I say, GE. Enron was employing, imploding during the 2008 meltdown. Getting out was the only way you were going to get anything. 
Blockbuster is an example of a company that has business model imploded by technology and eliminated an entire business. GE is a company now in 2018 has had many financial issues and after 111 years on the Dow as one of the Dow 30 was recently replaced by Walgreens. So watch for news on the companies you own. Watch for geopolitical issues such as the 2018 Trump trade wars with China and our allies. Try to figure out which stocks will be affected by this and then reconsider owning them. Take a profit or wait it out. Now, I don't want to make this political, but our government leadership changing with the election of Trump has put the market into an incredible volatile environment, even more so than usual. Things looked okay for a bit with the tax cuts that fueled the market for a bit. But when uh, the trade war was started with China, it caused greater volatility. In volatile times like this, and since the market is even more difficult to study at this time, I just pull the covers over my head and I wait. I'm waiting for the next election cycle, honestly. You know, I used to try, probably trade 10 to 20 times a month. And uh, since Trump has been elected, I've probably only traded three to five times in over two years. Why? Because even in a complicated, dynamic environment that is called the stock market, this is just nuts. This is insane. And the market is wildly fluctuating from each tweet from Trump. Honestly, I can't believe the SEC, that's the Securities and Exchange Commission, isn't involved in investigating this, but don't get me started on them. They're the ones who were warned about Bernie Madoff, but look the other way. You want a good, frustrating read on corruption, greed, white-collar theft? Go to Wikipedia and Google Bernie. Billions and billions of dollars stolen from investors over decades. The 2008 investment crisis that was hours from putting our country into the biblical financial issues, uh, and very few are spending any time in prison, just like the 1980s savings and loan debacle led by Ronnie Reagan. Now, nobody goes to jail. They fleece and pillage without repercussions. Who pays? Yeah, the taxpayer. <clears throat> One of the trades I made was Boeing this year. I've already discussed that in detail, but it was a key trade for me, and I, I kind of want to explain it. After the airline crashes, Boeing was at close to an all-time high, around 450 a share. I could have just held the stock, but, and this was not a panic sell of mine. It was very strategic. A panic sell is when the market has a severe downtrend and all stocks go down because the panic has taken over. Not to get too specific, however, but most of it is caused by AI or artificial intelligence and the logarithms that are set up to sell at a specific point. After it hits that, Katie bar the door, things are going south. Now, why do I say I, Boeing was not a panic sell? Because Boeing was doing just fine, and they were unseen circumstances that caused them to take a dive. When the first plane crashed and all information looked like Boeing was going to take the blame, I thought, well, we better keep an eye on this. But then when the other Boeing plane crashed, I said, oh, no, this could be a big deal for them financially. Uh, you thought I might have sold them, but I still didn't. But when they grounded the 737 MAX, I sold just my common sense told me that this is going to be a problem longer than I anticipated, so it's time to sell. I did, and I still do watch and study Boeing because I may buy it again soon. It is a stock well under its 52-week high, but I am not convinced that it will be fixed quickly. It could be 5, 10 years down the road before this thing all gets waded through. <clears throat> not one I'm going to simply wait and, and watch. Uh, for 10 years, anyway. I'm too old to wait for that kind of recovery, so I sold and moved on. Remember, there are thousands of stocks to buy, and I have not married any of them. Now, 
what would have happened if I didn't sell Boeing and held a strong buy and hold strategy? As we said, we can't see in the future, but I can speculate. My speculation with that was that if Boeing was in your portfolio and you held it for the next 30 years, this may very well be a blip on the radar. So still a buy and hold strategy could pay out. You probably would look back and say, man, I could have made more money on Boeing if I would have bought it and sold it a couple times. Also, if you owned mutual funds, you probably wouldn't even know if you owned Boeing or not. I had an argument with a friend once who chastised me for owning tobacco stocks, and I asked him if his pension was invested in tobacco stocks. He didn't know, of course, but uh, he still collected his pension. He felt he could chastise me for my personal investments. He didn't even know if he had it or if it was in his uh, in his uh, <clears throat> portfolio. Now, just trying to be honest, he had CalPERS, which is the California uh, pension fund, and I found out CalPERS does not invest or buy uh, tobacco stocks because of social consciousness. So interesting enough, I, I think they should have. And I'm disappointed that they didn't, but he, you know, he was right. Now, we've discussed the buy and hold strategy. And if you pick right stocks, those become a good long-term investment and a good solid dividend aristocrat. This is a tried and true strategy for those that don't want to follow and study the market. They simply want to collect the dividends, look at their portfolio a couple times a year. This is a great strategy. I prefer a buy and study strategy which requires me to spend a little bit more time. I watch stocks over time and I determine my exit point. One of the things I'm a firm believer in is manage the outcome. Don't be a victim to the outcome. This is true in business as well as your finances. I believe in a well thought out plan with building blocks will deliver the outcome you want. It's always good to have a goal, but if you don't have a plan to reach that goal, then I say your goal is fantasy. I used to say that to my kids all the time. I remember my daughter coming up to me with a goal and no plan. I said, Jennifer, this is, this is not good. You need to give me your best effort, and you need to have a plan for this goal. Her response was, but Dad, I'm only in the third grade. True story. My son had kind of another good one-liner in this arena. My daughter's junior year in high school, we started visiting colleges, and on one visit, I was outlining my son's plan on how to get him to college. I said to him, could you see, see yourself going to college here? And he goes, Dad... I'm just trying to focus on the sixth grade right now, okay? Full stop. I have to say, however, this in terms of selling stocks, do not sell emotionally. If it has a bad day or some analyst has downgraded the stock or the quarterly report just came out, the stock goes down for whatever reason, don't sell emotionally. My mom and dad were emotional sellers. Really, it was just my mom and she would beat down my dad until he would give up and sell. Stocks go up and down consistently. There is no stock really, that skyrockets without adjustments. The best way to explain this is what, again, my dad used to say. The stock market is like a little boy with a yo-yo walking up a hill. Don't look at the yo-yo, look at the hill. Sage advice. With that said, stocks move up and down regularly and daily for a variety of reasons. A very large percentage of stock is bought and sold now with, I said before, artificial intelligence. When a stock hits a certain trigger point, either high or low, it triggers a buy or sell. So if a stock has a bad day, week, or month, and a buy and hold strategy, you still hold it for the long term. Last, the quarterly reporting, or as the talking heads call it, earnings season. Most publicly held stocks will share their financials of the company on a quarterly basis. Analysts put in their best guesses on what the company should do for the past quarter. If the company hits or exceeds those metrics, they say it beat the street estimates. They may hit on none, some, or all the metrics, and investors react accordingly. The other important piece is uh, that the company during this report will give their forward outlook, and that may be positive or negative. And again, the investment community will respond. 
key to understand is stick to your plan, buy and hold. This is a quarterly report. It's going to happen four times a year. This is your long-term investment. Don't get emotional and sell your stocks. I do believe that there are some caveats to the buy and hold strategy. The world changes. It's not static. It's dynamic. And you can buy and hold and miss great opportunities to make money or miss an opportunity, not an opportunity, but you might lose some money. I do believe this, and I need to make it clear. If you decide to manage your own money, I do believe you have to be in the game and be informed on a weekly basis in order for this next strategy to work. The whole premise of me writing this is to help people take the mystery and confusion out of buying stocks. That doesn't mean you can put your head in the sand either. Let me give you a few examples of that. My first experience was oil. When I first started my portfolio, oil was $100 a barrel. And it looked like we would never see any reasonable oil price in the balance of my lifetime. However, as I say, the world is not static and the oil plummeted to $30 a barrel. What? How could that be? Well, I don't want to get into the specifics, but demand and production were the key to the downfall. Now, I own some great dividend-paying oil stocks. Chevron, Shell Dutch, Exxon, Conoco. I made a lot of money on the growth and the strong dividends. This investment seemed foolproof. Just buy and hold and rake the money into the IRA with the dividends. But wait, oil crashed, and if I wasn't paying attention and was still in the buy and hold strategy where I didn't look at it that often, I would not have only lost the profit I'd made, uh, I would lose some of the dividends of, because those companies, some of them lowered their dividends. There was a time to sell, and I did. We'll be back after a quick break. Paul Murphy here. I don't know who you are, and I don't know what you want. If you're looking to pay for ad costs, I can tell you that I don't have money for ads. But what I do have are a particular set of skills, skills that make my 100% free ad strategies a complete nightmare for ad platforms. If you follow my show now, that's going to be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you and I will help you reduce your ad spend by over 95%. Follow the Traffic Tube Secrets podcast now with me, Paul Murphy, to find out more. My next example of this is uh, the tobacco stocks I've mentioned that I've owned. Now, uh, when I retired, I bought some of these tobacco spots, stocks. They fit into my metrics very nicely. Nice dividends, low beta. I ended up owning about five of them. And while they were acquiring, acquiring each other and consolidating, I continued to own them. At one time, I had about 20% of my portfolio in tobacco stocks, and I had one stock that soared over 100% in three years. It was really a cash cow for me. So what happened? In July of 2017, the FDA said they were going to require tobacco companies to lower the nicotine in their products so they were no longer as addictive. Tobacco stocks plummeted. I felt that this was not going to go away, so I didn't panic, but I sold to protect my profits. I was not going to watch my profits go away while the stocks fell. I sold all my tobacco stocks and took all the profits. Now, if I knew that the FDA was going to announce that day the information, I would have sold the day before. But, you know, I'm not Nostradamus and I didn't know. It cost you some money, but I still made good money on my investments. The reason for telling these stories is because a buy and hold coupled with a hold and don't pay attention strategy is not a plan I personally like. You have to be in the game and pay a little bit of attention. You have to be in the game. You have to be pay attention, as I just said. But will my financial planner do the same? And how do I know? Again, why I manage my own money? Because I trust myself and I know I will pay attention. When do I make the decision on when to pull the trigger on a buy and hold stock? This is called the entry point. And it's an arena that has as many opinions as there are entry points into a stock. 
I will share some of the thoughts and tell you I've used all of them, so I'm not sure you can say for the entry point that there is a tried and true methodology that I personally would prescribe to. Honestly, they've all worked for me at one point or another. In a perfect world, you would find a stock that is at its 52-week low and has a low PE compared to the market and its peers, pays a dividend, and is just about to break out in price. When you find that, call me immediately. I'll give you my phone number. You'll hear, don't buy a stock at a 52-week high. I say, if it's at its 52-week high and continues to climb, I'm going to miss out on that growth. Just because a stock is at its 52-week high doesn't mean that it won't go to its 52-week low or doesn't mean that it won't go well past the 52-week high. What the analysts do then is they change their estimates to match more of what's going on. Amazon is the most recent example of that for me. I bought some of its stock at a 52-week high of $1,000. Uh, this is, goes back a few years, obviously. I bought more at about $1,300 at another 52-week high. And I bought more at $1,500. The point is this. Had I waited for a retreat on the entry point on Amazon, I would have missed the run up to $1,500. Now, it's currently closing right about $1,800 a share now. I would have missed out on some great profits. Now, I climbed all the way to $2,100 and it has had a pullback. You'll hear that. And Apple's an example of that. You'll hear wait for a pullback. I say, but what if it doesn't happen? And you just watch it climb. Apple at one point sold for $7 a share. Some people are waiting a long time for a pullback. I've owned Apple at under $100 a share. I've owned Apple at $150 post uh, the uh, 7 to 1 split in 2015. But I've made money on Apple every time I've owned it, and I haven't worried about an entry point. I'm not as concerned about the entry point as I am the exit point and putting the profit in the bank. You'll hear, don't buy a stock that has an overvalued PE. Not bad advice. But Amazon's an example of a very high PE. As I've said in previous podcasts, the rules somehow don't apply for some stocks. Now, to be fair, this is about entry point on a buy and hold strategy, and Amazon doesn't really fit that criteria for me. I use them as a growth stock. You'll also hear, buy some today, and on a pullback, buy some a couple days later, on another pullback, so on and so forth. I don't get involved in a stock I think is going to be going down that many times. If I think my stock is going to go down that many times, I'm not going to buy it. With all that said, I do think it's okay to have a wish list of stocks you're looking to buy. Also be willing to put stocks that are not on your radar on that wish list uh, from other people that give you the ideas for that stock after you've uh, investigated them. I bought Costco not long ago because they had a pullback from what I thought was a market overreaction. You may recall when Amazon bought Whole Foods, all the grocery, grocery chain stores plummeted that week or month. Some may or may not have had exposure to Amazon's food entry. I just thought Costco would be hurt less than the others. I thought it was a market overreaction, and I bought Costco on sale, as I would call it, about a 10% sale. Then there's a strategy called dollar cost averaging, and I kind of referred to it above when I said when a stock pulls back. This is a tough one because of what I said. I don't like to buy a stock when it's pulling back. But if it goes the other way, I don't like this either. Let me put it this way. Say you own a stock at $100 and you bought it and it goes down. If you believe the company and the company fundamentals and the stock goes down to, say, $80 a share, you could buy more. Now, if you bought $100, 100 shares at $100 and 100 shares at $80, you just got your average cost down to $90 a share. So on his climb back to $100 a share, instead of just breaking even, you'll be making money at that point. Now, you got to have some guts to do this because when a stock is going down, 
you got to have pretty good confidence that in that particular stock. So I'm going to wrap this up at this point uh, for this podcast. Uh, but just to recap, we talked about uh, entry points. We talked about uh, buy and hold strategy and my favorite, buy and study strategy. The next session, we're going to talk about a strategy, what I have termed pops and drops. So until then, good luck. God bless.